Hey, this is Burke, and I swear sometimes, so listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, happy 2022, and let's hope this year is better than the last. I'm going to be real honest, this is the second time I'm trying to record this episode, and I've had some weird phantom audio issues, and I'm trying to fix and get them out, but so far everything sounds good. Now for the real episode. So a new year means new topics. And for the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking about quest related things. But on today's episode, we're going to be talking about building a living world for your campaigns. The reason why we're going to be covering questing for as many weeks is because questing is a major part of your game. Even to the end of your game, you are still kind of doing a quest. So it's important to kind of talk about the different aspects of questing. Which brings us to the topic of today, the living world. Anybody who is familiar with MMOs is familiar with the term a living world. It often refers to the decisions you make as a player change the world around you. All right, we'll start with this example. I'm going to set this in a medieval setting. Your party has just gotten off the road and they've entered into the small village. They immediately run into a bounty board. Now there's a lot of various different quests on this bounty board, but they've decided that they want to take the quest that is looking for the mayor's daughter. Now I'll start with this board has a lot of different quests. The players have decided that they want to do this quest to find the mayor's daughter first. It seems the more time sensitive. One of these other quests on the board is to investigate why there hasn't been any trade from the city up north. We'll get back to that later. So the party goes out and is able to kill the bandits that have captured the daughter. Good job. But when they get back, they notice that there's a new batch of bounties on the board, all dealing with monster attacks. So now the party is probably going to focus on doing the monster attacks quests. So they start clearing out those quests. By the time they turn it in, it's been about a week. All right, now here's where we get into the living world stuff. Player decisions matter when it comes to a living world. Yes, the finding the mayor's daughter was a priority, but this quest to go investigate what's going on up north is also a priority because there is an army of dwarves that is currently marching towards their city. Now, these recent monster attacks are because this army is basically pushing them out of their normal areas and they are basically flocking to this surrounding area. As time goes on, animals that are not native to this area are actually going to be pushed into this area as well. Now, here's the thing. This army isn't going to move terribly fast. They're marching. I'm going to take this part from history. The typical army in, like, say, the Civil War era marched 9 to 13 miles a day. They could march up to 20 but that was pushing it and it tired out their men. They actually even marched less after a battle, unless they were being pursued. Now, the city up north is roughly 250 miles and change, and enough time has to have passed that there's now a bounty to go check out and see what's going on. Even if it's like two days, that army still has traveled 26 miles. To keep it simple, in the seven days it took the party to actually go to investigate this part, the army has marched 91 miles of their 250 away from this city. More if you include the three days before the quest actually got posted on the board. And to keep it even simpler, we'll just say that that quest was posted on that board that day. Now, here's the other thing. The party doesn't know that this is a super time sensitive thing. So when they go out to do this, there's a couple different things that could turn the outcome of this world. If they decide to go on foot, there will be no time to warn the city. There just won't be. There's just not enough time for them to get to the army and get the hell back to the city. There just isn't enough time. The next option is they could pick a horse or a horse drawn coach. That's a really hard phrase to say for some reason tonight. Horses are probably the best option for this. Horses can go up to 35 miles in a day, while a coach that's being pulled along by horses usually only runs about 20. 
All right, now let's talk about this Dwarven army. Now this army is going through and sacking every town on this road, leaving no survivors. And an army this size, because it's going to be a couple hundred of them, is going to have ranging scouts who are composed of mostly rangers and rogues and maybe the occasional wizard to quickly and effectively eliminate all targets and leave zero evidence. Now, these ranging patrols are probably going to be a day ahead of them because they don't want people getting away because an army this size surprise is worth way more than brute force. Now, here's another thing. Dwarves live for a very long time. And let's say they've been planning this attack for 100 years. And let's say this city that they're, the players are in isn't necessarily the final stop. In 100 years, they can prepare themselves a lot of different ways. Weapons and armor could be planned out ahead of time. They might be equipped with bags of holding so they can travel lightly. They might have magical items. Let's say they have boots that flatten down the earth after they're done walking so they shows no evidence of where they have been. They might even have mages behind them that are actually doing the same thing, just using prestidigitation or pass without a trace, mending on damaged buildings, just going through and making sure that there is no evidence that they came through there behind them. And maybe somebody behind the army might go, hey, this is a little weird. There's not even, you know, horse manure in this town. Also, why is there not even a single stain on any of this bar pole? Street. And the mages might be doing a good job of just hiding the bodies. Maybe they're throwing all the bodies in a extra planar space, you know, bag of holding. Maybe they're even gating them out of there. All right, now let's get back to the party. So the party goes in and tries to investigate what's going on. So they ride ahead. I'm giving them the horse option. Now the party's going to run into one of these ranging patrols. And given that they've handled themselves in the past, they're able to handle this group. Now here's where it comes down to what do they do with the information they just got? The smart play is to take the evidence that they've just claimed and bring it back. Maybe save a couple towns along the way or B, the not so smart idea, they could go towards the army itself. Both are valid options, though the second one isn't the smartest. Even a high level party can get cut down by a ton of smaller entities like numbers count for a lot in when it comes to tabletop role playing games. Just getting overrun can kill a high level group. Now, if the party goes back to the town and saves these villages along the way, they can figure out what the town needs to do whether it be run or prepare to fight. Now, if the party ignores that and goes straight towards the army, well, they can become a nuisance to the army. They could maybe plan out attacks on the command structure. Now, if the command structure is anything like it is in modern times, they're gonna have a chain of command and it's really just gonna slow them down a little bit. Now, here's the other thing you also have to put into perspective. This is very time sensitive. Now, even on horseback, it's gonna take the party about two days to get to the army. So that means that army is two days closer to getting to the town that they just were at. The other issue is by the time they get to the bulk of the army itself, even if they're just scouting, there's no way for them to get back to the town in enough time to prepare the town to defend itself. And both outcomes will come down to the party. They will be remembered for saving as many people or they'll be remembered for attacking the army head on. They might be rewarded for their heroism that attacking the much larger force, maybe buying people time. Maybe they had a familiar that could send a letter back so they could uh, honestly do both. There's a lot of different outcomes for this scenario. Okay, for this next example, I'm actually taking this from a game I'm currently playing in. Jin, I hope you don't mind, but here's my thoughts on this. 
So my group has been sent out to investigate why this mine hasn't been shipping iron to the city we're from. So currently our party is getting involved in restoring the mine to active operations, even though we were only sent to kind of investigate and see what was going on. Now, here's my take on this. The fact that this iron mine has not been producing iron for the capital city is actually going to increase the prices of everything made of iron, whether it be horseshoes, nails, armor and weapons. Hell, even shocks for carts are made of iron. And because we're not the only group that's been sent out here to investigate this, there's obviously been enough time that there has been zero iron coming into the capital city. And this comes down to the other part of the living world is there is a cause and effect because there is no iron going into this capital city prices are going to shoot up through the roof there's going to be a lot of scarcity when it comes to certain things this one unfortunately it's a little close to home especially because of the chip shortage i mean hell we're seeing cars marked up significantly i mean heck i'm looking at getting a new car this year and one of the cars I'm looking at has a $10,000 markup right now. I'm not going to pay that. Sorry, back to the living world. Now, this lack of iron is actually going to affect a lot of different industries, and it's going to put a lot of pressure on those people that are doing those industries. For instance, carpenters aren't going to be able to do the job because they don't have access to nails, not to mention armorers and everybody else, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm going to fire off some smaller examples. For instance, you might have had a quest for a high-value bandit, but you had other shit to do, so you didn't actually kill the bandit. Well, that bandit has now become a bandit lord. And because he has accumulated so much power and force as time has gone by, maybe him and his crew have taken out a bridge. So it funnels all the traffic down a certain road that him and his boys can tax and pilfer as they please. Maybe you had a quest to kill this witch that lived out in a swamp somewhere. Well, it turns out that witch was a wizard and she found the key to becoming a lich while she was out there unbothered. Now your party has to deal with the lich that's now in the area. Let's say your party has cleared out a beholder's lair and in the back of this lair, they find this large silver deposit. Well, your party doesn't have enough time to mine it themselves. So they hire out some crews. Well, when they come back in, say, six months, they find out there's been a nice big boom town that's grown around this mine. Basically, what I'm getting at is there should be a cause and effect to every decision that your players make. I'm not saying going around and kicking leaf piles are going to change the world as you see it, but some decisions should matter. Let's say the party went up north first. They found the army early on. They got back to the village, found out the daughter of the mayor is dead, but they were able to save the village. You have a dead girl because of this decision. Honestly, they could do both. They could have gone one way or another. Let's say the party ignored the monster attacks. Well, they could have saved the village sooner, but more people would have died to the monster attacks. The last example I'm going to give is something I do as a player. See, as a player, I often invest in real estate. Yeah, that's right. In games, I typically invest in real estate. And nine times out of 10, it's a tavern. Now, this tavern could be on the road or it could be in a town. Now, if we're doing a lot of travel out of a certain town and we're always coming in and out of it, it makes sense to have the tavern in the town. Make it an inn, give it some rooms, build on it as you get money. Now, if I built this out on the road, we can go back to the other episode where a town builds up around it. Now, if I build this inside of a town, however, and all the money I'm dumping into this tavern enough where it becomes the most popular spot in town, 
Well, A, it's going to replace the nicest establishment in town, but it's also going to get a lot of attention on my establishment, most of which is probably not wanted because let's face it, my inn's going to be a lot better looking than the better one in town because I'm killing dragons, bringing back large amounts of loot, which also means I'm investing hundreds and hundreds of gold at a time on upgrades for my inn. The average person in a fantasy world isn't going to be able to do that even the higher class aren't able to do that. And the second thing is I'm painting a target on my back because this business is booming. So if somebody's gonna rob me, they're gonna try to rob my establishment. Honestly, I could go over this for a while. I love this part of world building, but I'm gonna cut it short or I'll just go on and on for hours. And given this is the second time recording this, and I have been editing it as I go. It's already taken me a couple hours to talk about the same things I did twice. For the most part, I can't hear the issue I've been having in this episode. It does pop up from time to time, but it's not as noticeable. I'll have to sit down with somebody who's an audio expert. Unfortunately, these issues kind of popped up as soon as I had that most recent Windows update. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Twitter at DM Burkhart. You can also find my personal Twitter at Burkhart Gaming. I'm going to be dipping my toes into streaming again, mostly building maps and dungeons for my upcoming games. You can find me on Twitch at Burkhart. If you want to join the Discord community, the link is in the show description, as well as all the links to all the social media. Lastly, if you'd like to support the show, if you could tell a friend about it, that'd be awesome. And I want to thank everybody who spread the word from word of mouth, and you guys are all great, and I appreciate all the feedback I receive. Oh, I almost forgot. I found out the other day that Spotify now allows for ratings. So I want to thank whoever gave me that five-star rating on Spotify. I only found out because I use Spotify to check the episodes. So I said early on that we're going to be covering questing for the next couple weeks. So next week's episode. What did you say? That's right. On normally dark weeks for world building with Burke, we will be doing a new segment called Character Builder. Now, Character Builder is going to be a little bit different. We're going to both design NPCs as well as characters to be played. We're also going to go down the process of how to create interesting characters. It should be a pretty fun thing, and you can find it under the World Building with Burke banner. It's just going to be labeled as Character Builder in the episode. It should be a lot of fun discussing builds and out-of-the-box ways to design fun and interesting characters. And for the first episode of Character Builder, we're actually going to be talking about the character I'm playing in that live play game, which airs this Saturday. Almost forgot about that. So again, our first episode of Character Builder will be involving Raymond, my changeling bard, and its potential build and, well, his aspirations and everything else. Should be a fun episode because Raymond kind of breaks a lot of the molds, and I won't spoil anything here. So thanks for listening, and I will see you guys in the next one.